0: This is Food First Michigan on 760 WJR. Sponsored by the Food Bank Council of Michigan. Creating a food secure state. And by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan. Now here are your hosts, Dr. Phil Knight and Jerry Brisson. Welcome back everyone and thanks for listening. Our old friend Rob Fowler is welcome back to the show today. Rob has served as the CEO of SBAM. Small Business Association of Michigan for over 20 years and has been an exceptional leader during his tenure. SBAM has grown significantly in size and influence as it stands in the gap for small business owners across the state. The thing I want to highlight here is that when I say small business owners, we mean families. So essentially, Rob and SBAM are standing in the gap for Michigan families. Rob has shared some thought-provoking perspective over the years on our show. We call them Fowlerisms, and we want to review a few of those that we've found exceptional. We will see how those declarations have aged. I am sure those thoughts, like Rob, and fine wine, have aged well. Rob also has some professional news to share and a new conversation we'd like to explore. Join me next when Jerry Bresson and Rob Fowler enter the virtual studio for another edition of Food First Michigan. Welcome back, everyone. Thanks for listening. As promised, Jerry Brisson and Rob Fowler, the CEO for the Small Business Association of Michigan, is our guest. And Rob, welcome back. I think this might be your third or fourth time
1: on the show. Well, Phil, I appreciate it. Um, Actually, you you and I have done uh, radio even before Food First. So um, I I feel like this is uh, this has gotten to be something that uh, sooner or later we might get good at. (laughs)
0: Uh, Well, right, right. Well, I do have the face for radio. I do know that. And yes, we did do a show together on the Michigan Business Network called the Leadership Lowdown. And those are some fun shows. And so yeah, we've been doing this for a while. We might,
1: I don't know, we might have a future in this. Well, I I like the idea of the face for radio. I've heard that I've heard that before uh, as it applied to me. So here we are.
0: Right. So, all right, let's dive in. Jerry, um, you know, Rob's been with us before, and we had some really good conversations. I want to revisit a couple of those uh, uh, topics, but, you know, when we thought about having Rob on the show, um, it was, you know, we wanted to, before the end of the year, have you, Rob, to be with us, um, because we know that uh, there's been an announcement about uh, Small Business Association of Michigan, and... Are you free
1: to share some of that with us? Well, um, we have uh, we're at the end of a transition period where I, I've been the uh, uh, president and CEO of this organization for uh, 19 years, been at the organization for 21 uh, and um, just delighted that the board has selected Brian Calley as my successor. So starting uh, January 1st, Brian will become the new president and CEO. Uh, he's held the title of president uh, for the last three years and uh, Mm -hmm. i couldn't be more pleased about that just in terms of the the future of the organization Uh, i think in some ways we were a little bit the envy of the association world in that um Mm -hmm. it was a really smooth transition doesn't always happen that way in the nonprofit world and uh, i think from our perspective uh it 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 appeared to be smooth on the outside but it was just as smooth on the inside um, Uh, Brian is quite a talent, and um, I just think the organization is in great hands. Yeah,
0: we're excited about it. Um, Of course, we as uh, the CEOs of our food banks from across the state, we came to visit you and Brian, and y'all shared with us the story of the succession plan. And uh, then last week, I had an opportunity to be with Brian. My wife, Christy, received a Children's Hero Award from the Grand Blank Chamber of Commerce, and and Brian was the guest speaker, and so it was great to connect with him and um, ended up testifying with him uh, uh, in favor of a bill, which is uh, one of the topics I want to talk with you about, Jerry and I do, but it's great to have you and congratulations on a great career. Um, You know, the, the growth that has occurred at the Small Business Association of Michigan, SBAM, uh, under your leadership has
1: been absolutely phenomenal. Well, we did grow from, you know, just in pure numbers, uh, 5,000 to almost 29,000 members, uh, businesses from all across the state, um, I, you know, I think there's some ways to measure growth. Otherwise, uh, my hope is that we are a way more influential organization. Um, that's the business we're in in so many ways: is trying to be influential on behalf of small business because they deserve it. And mm-hmm. um, you know, the, there's an annual survey that's done among policymakers, legislators, and and staff, and lobbyists, and others. Uh, and it's it's one of the measures of influence. And uh, we have been one of the one of the top five most influential organizations um, in that in that uh, survey over the last ten years. And I'm proud of that. But mostly, uh, I just believe that small business needs a seat at the table, they need to have a strong voice, and, and I believe we've, we've provided that for them, and that'll be, again, in great hands going forward.
0: Well, Jerry, um, you, we had some conversations with Rob uh, back several years ago. I mean, he was one of our, you were one of our first guests, I should say, and so let me see if I can revisit one of those conversations with you. Um, and, and you touched on it here already in this opening segment. It was a... It was one of the first times you were with us, Rob, and basically the conversation centered around how different the conversation is now between business and nonprofit and how we used to just kind of line up against each other. I think the term you used in the show was we square off against one another in the legislative process. Um, but since you've been coming on this show, that conversation has changed, and as you both know, that's been one of the intensive intentions of this show. One of the objectives was to change the conversation. So, just wondering if you remember that, and, uh,
1: and, and, and do you have a different perspective on it? Well, I do, and I, and I, um, I, I want to give the two of you some of the credit for this. Um, I'll say it this way I I used to be uh, I used to not like the term social entrepreneur and part of the reason is because I have such reverence for the term entrepreneurship or entrepreneur that those who who um, you know take the risk build an organization make a livelihood for themselves and a lot of other people create wealth I I have deep respect for entrepreneurs and when I First heard the term social entrepreneurship, I thought, well, that's kind of a, a um, deluding the term entrepreneur, and I didn't like it much. But mm-hmm. I've really come to think about it differently, and that is that there's there's business and there's nonprofit, uh, and then there's something in between, and the something in between is either a highly generous, well-run business, or a highly business-like or entrepreneurial nonprofit. And my sense is you guys are playing in that second space—that that you're running nonprofits with innovation and entrepreneurship—and, um, you know, I, you have been real leaders. And sometimes I watch nonprofits just being poorly run, uh, and and almost using nonprofit as a as an excuse to not be good stewards to their investors, their their contributors. Um, so, I, I, I've come to sort of really like this, this in-between space that is um, a social entrepreneur. Hmm.
2: Yeah, I really, I really like that distinction, um, and there's a lot of reasons I like it. Uh, but right off the top of my head, um, yes, the investment model on the nonprofit side is different, right? The risk is being taken by who? It's being taken by investors who are donors. It's being taken by investors who are philanthropy. It's being taken by investors who are interested in the community being a better place and hopefully you're meeting the expectations of those investors, if you will, in a business sort of way where you know what the cost benefit is of what you're doing, where you have clear plans laid out for the difference you're going to make and why that difference is important. If you have transparency and honest dialogue with those investors, you end up in a very similar conversation than you would as if you were a business or an entrepreneur, right? You, you, have, to, you have to make your investors satisfied with the product, right? And I think what you're talking about is that conversation doesn't always happen. Nonprofits and their investors don't always have clarity about those things. And so it's a lot more confusing about what are we getting for this investment? Who's getting it? Who even are the investors, right? Because that's not easy information to find. Um, But but I do think that if you wanna solve complex social issues, you have to approach it like a business. You have to approach it in a way that makes it clear what it is you want to accomplish, what it's going to cost to accomplish it, and other things like is it better to do it another way? I mean, I, you know, I, I remember when we talked about um, the issue with minimum wage, and you spoke really eloquently about. It's, you can't have a one-size-fits-all solution for every possible business, you just can't. It, it hurts some, it might help others, it hurts some people, it might help others. And even in the course of that conversation, we had a really good dialogue about how careful you have to be based on what it is you're trying to accomplish. And so, um, so I do think that, that these policy decisions have to be very carefully crafted by all of us who have a vested interest in the results, right? And it can't just be about what we feel good about. It can't be something that we just say, oh, we like this idea, so we should do that. No, it has to be really well-defined and understood in order for it to have long-term success. And, uh, and it makes a lot of sense to me if you wanna solve complex problems.
0: Right. Well, I want to, that actually the conversational minimum wage is another Fowlerism that I want to I want to get to, and that's probably the one we really want to find out of how well that one's aged. So let's do that on the other side of the break. That's Jerry Brasson, Rob Fowler. I'm Dr. Phil Knight, and we're all three back with you in just a moment. the Food Bank Council of Michigan at fbcmich.org. Now back to more Food First Michigan with Dr. Phil Knight and Jerry Brisson. We're back, Jerry Brisson, Rob Fowler, the CEO at the Small Business Association of Michigan, a reoccurring guest here on Food First Michigan. And we're excited to have you back with us. Rob, I'm Dr. Phil Knight. And on the last part of that break, we were starting to talk about a conversation we'd had Several years ago, in fact, I think we had it maybe twice. Uh, one in the studio, and then one up on the at the Mackinac Policy Conference when we were recording up there, and it was about minimum wage. And this is what I remember. Let me see if you guys remember this as well as I do, or are or are not as good. <laughs> but the conversation we kind of centered around how we kind of all three got together that. You know, there was a proposed legislation about possibly moving minimum wage up to $15 an hour, and we talked about how that would affect particularly businesses that are in direct service, and we said, and uh, Rob, I think it was really your, your idea, so I want to give you the credit or blame here to say that, that really the market should determine the minimum wage. And now as we look over the last couple of years, and certainly the last year, and how how the market has determined a minimum wage. Um, and in some places, it's, I don't know what the average is, but there are certainly direct service businesses that are offering uh, starting wages at 15 and above. So, you know, uh, is, this, like, is this, this thought like fine wine? Did it age well?
1: Well, um, I, I think it, all you have to do is step back and, and look, um, you know, study history a little bit. Uh, I mean the truth is there have been times when, like now, the uh, the, the what we have is this labor shortage and because of mm-hmm. it, uh, in order to compete for for talent, employers have had to raise wages to to compete, and and they do. Um, used to be the light manufacturing was below the national minimum wage, and today you couldn't hire somebody in light manufacturing for less than $17, $18 an hour. So the market mm-hmm. moved the wage above so the, the, the idea that the government is going to get this just exactly right and it's going to be right for for um, for every market situation is just folly. So mm-hmm. and, and it's so tempting. I would say, you know, I think as I remember that conversation, the other the other part of it was it's so tempting to think as a as a legislator, as a policymaker, we're going to help poor people by raising the minimum wage. But in so many ways, and, you, and again, I think we see it right now, two things are going up. Wages are going up, but prices are also going up. And prices going up actually hurts the poor and raising, mm-hmm. artificially raising the minimum wage will also raise prices. And you know, in many ways it won't help anybody. And I, I really do remember this conversation because the way I often think about it is if you believe that raising the minimum wage has no downside, if, if it, right. you don't think it's going to raise prices to the point where some businesses can't succeed anymore then we should set the minimum wage at fifty dollars because if it's all upside and no downside and i think when you, when you say that people say well you can't do that because then and that's true <laughs> and <laughs> that's the complication i you know i've literally spent my entire career in this public policy area where working with legislators and um, you know, in the the field of public policy. And this is one that that just comes around all the time. Uh, It gets oversimplified as if to say, we could solve a lot of problems by just forcing businesses to raise their wages. Uh, But forcing businesses to raise their wages puts some of them out of business and literally will make people uh, unemployed and uh, forces others to raise their prices, often hurting exactly the people that, you know. So it's, I guess my point always is, it's way more complicated than that. It's not that. That's such right. a simplistic tool. Uh, if we want to really help the help the poor, and I think what what you guys are about is is helping those who who are in poverty, even if it's just for a season of their life. Um, how do we do that? And I and I I just don't think the blunt instrument of raising minimum wage uh, really solves anything.
2: You know, this is such a so many complicated intersecting issues. We know that employment is a critical concern of low-income people, and it's a critical critical concern that involves an awful lot of choices that individuals make, that society makes, that businesses make, that government makes, right? It's a complex pot that gets stirred every time you bring this up, and we also know there's a lot of really strong opinions about the cause of poverty and the cause of hardship in people's lives and we know that we have a lot to learn always about what are the things we really need to do to solve it and I think Rob what you just said that because of that because of all the various complexities and challenges that it takes to really get underneath an issue you can't start the conversation from a place of well, you're wrong and I'm right, right? You can't because it gets nowhere and it hasn't gotten anywhere. So, so there's, I mean, there's so much to read and study and understand about this topic. My point of view really has come to, there's a lot to learn, we need to keep learning as we try things and learn things. What you just said about, about the reality of, of light industrial wages right now, what do we have to learn from that? You know, I mean, certainly one of the things we can learn is that the market corrected. But there's all kinds of other things influencing the market. The the, the, the Fed and their decisions about interest rates and are they going to manage inflation or not. You know, that's a huge thing that's happening right now. I also talked to you doctor about some some really uh, dynamic truths about who is not going back to the workforce right now. We know people who need childcare are not rushing back to the workforce. We know that people over 55 are not rushing back to the workforce. Well, what is it about those segments of our community that we need to understand better so that we can relieve some of the pressure on some of our small businesses because small businesses still, employ more people than any other single sector right so these are complicated issues and I, I mean again i don't know doctor if you want to talk about any of that research or or rob if you have further thoughts to help us understand you know some of these dynamics but it it feels to me like a complex issue that we have to take a posture of learning around
0: well i think that the the two segments that you just talked about there women in the workforce who are waiting on more consistent and affordable uh, Childcare is a huge issue. I, again, I think 55 and older have not re-engaged into the workforce. Um, but there are other, uh, there's a lot of factors here that are in play. Um, you know, and one of the things is the higher wage. For example, a person who prior to the pandemic that was working two to three jobs uh, at 10 and $12 an hour are now working less jobs at 15 and $17 an hour. They don't have to work as much. They don't have to work as many jobs. And, you know, that really is a good thing, guys. <laughs> right. that's, that's not anything that we should I know every every store you go by, it says help wanted, apply within, yep. your signing bonuses. All, I saw that in Walmart. You know, I've seen it everywhere. Um, so uh, I, I think that there are, are a, and, and one of the things, Rob, you said on on an earlier show is anytime that you do legislative uh, legislation fast, you normally don't do it well. Yeah. Another Fowlerism.
1: Well, I, 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 I think it's so true because, and, and Jerry, to the very point you just made, um, there's a new study out by, I think, Barclays Bank, um, that the, the single biggest reason, or the single biggest indicator of somebody not coming, you know, having worked before, not coming back to the workplace, is they're married. It's not their age. It's not single moms, first and foremost. I mean, it is, it's both of those. But it's, those, it's, it's families who've made the decision to, to hold one of the two back for childcare mostly, hmm. and, uh, and, and because they don't necessarily, at this moment, need to have two incomes. That's the biggest dropout of the current, of the current workforce. So um, it, it, it's, you know, it's a fascinating time. But and if you didn't know that, and you just wanted to go you know, jump on a policy solution, uh, you might miss the mark. And, uh, you know, so there is lots of talk right now about childcare, and I think it's right, that's the correct policy conversation. So I'm not suggesting it isn't, but it's way more compli- complicated than yeah. that. That one, that one little thing, and there's also talk about transportation, that people without, right. with, without reliable transportation uh, have a difficult time being successful in the workplace. Also a, a, a worthy topic, but those are two of a complex set of issues that are, that are affecting the workplace and affecting uh, the labor shortage.
0: Well, we've got more Fowlerisms coming at you in the next segment. That's Jerry Brisson, Rob Fowler, the CEO for the SBAM, the Small Business Association of Michigan. He's our guest. He's been our guest. He's said some incredible things on our show, and we're revisiting a few of those today. And we want you to come back and be with us. Michigan. Once again, here's Phil and Jerry. We're back. Thanks everyone for joining us. Jerry Brisson, Rob Fowler. We're back for a third segment with Rob. And Rob, I got one more Fowlerism, but then I want us to have a new conversation we've never had on this show before. And, And we talked a little bit about poverty, and this is a really good segue into this new conversation. Here's what you said. The fastest way out of poverty is entrepreneurship. The surest way out is education.
1: Yeah, I I, I think that one has aged well. And, you know, uh, I I would say, especially if you step back, way back, um, with almost a world view in in our country, and I would say even more particularly in our state, um, anyone can start a business, anyone. I mean, there are no legal prohibitions there. Now, I, I, I totally get the, the um, the poverty of uh, relationships and money, access to capital, and some of those sort of things. But but the truth mm-hmm. is, you hear rags to riches stories in this country more than anywhere else in the world. Um, sure. And our state has had a history of entrepreneurship in a way that most other states don't. And we have there are resources like the Small Business Development Center that are free to anyone who who wants to start a business. Um, I think there's more opportunity for some, you know, I, there's a whole debate about whether entrepreneurship is taught or learned, or I'm sorry, taught or uh, innate, and mm-hmm. um, I do believe that there's there's a little bit of both. I think there are people who just get how an enterprise runs, how making money, you just see, I can see it in young people, I can see it in, in business owners, um, you know, if if somebody really has that bug I can I, I think there's no better place on the planet to start and grow a business than there is right here and um, but again uh, education is the, is the surest way meaning right get a good education you're way more likely to uh, to make a good living but um, the, the, the idea that you could start an enterprise you could grow it you could grow wealth for yourself and and others uh, create employment for others um, there's no, no better place on the planet to do that. That's exciting. Well, Rob, you and I are part of a CEO group um,
0: of association leaders across um, uh, of Michigan and primarily centered here in the Lansing area. Jerry, this is a great group. You've heard me talk about it a lot. And uh, one of the, one of the uh, people that's been in this, this group with us is Donna Murray Brown. The outgoing CEO and president for the Michigan Nonprofit Association. Donna has been a guest on this show. She's told her story about a time in their life and their family where they were food insecure. And uh, it's, you know, always shatters me how many people come in contact with food insecurity, you know, across the entire spectrum. Donna, now a successful career in banking and now moved into nonprofit leadership. Um, making a transition out of state, and we wish her the best as always but rob in this in our in our CEO group the the idea of racial equity justice came up, and you posed a question to Donna and Donna had a pretty profound answer, and I think that that pretty much pertains to the three of us on this show and some of the things that we 've talked about on the show through the years could you pick that story up for us?
1: Yeah, I mean, as, as I recall it, Donna Don was um, was talking about, she, she doesn't feel at times that she should be the one to raise issues of, uh, of racial equity, of, um, of social justice. She didn't, now, now Donna is, a, is an African-American woman uh, and, and didn't feel like it was her place. <laughs> and, I thought, and I said, I'm not sure it's my place. I am a mature, white, male, heterosexual, able-bodied Christian. I, I, I check every box there is a privilege. And it, you know. In, in so many ways, I think there's a tendency for me to say, I don't know that, that's, that I have credibility in this space. And what Donna said mm. is, it's going to take you. And I would say the three of us meet that same profile, all three of us. And yet, um, you know, it leaves you with the question, what do you do with that? What do you do about that? You, you, you have this privilege, you have this power, and what do you do with it? And uh, mm-hmm. I, I, my hat is off to both of you because you work in the space that you work in uh, and you do it so well. And, you know, but, but I think this is, this is the, almost the issue of our day. Um, mm-hmm. Who can speak to this issue with credibility and, um, and can, who can be the change makers?
2: And of course, all of us have to be, right? And, and you know, one of the things that, again, I can't remember where I heard this, I will not take credit for it, but it's it's this. When you start deciding who's not worthy to be part of your effort, you end up alone. Because at the end of the day, nobody's worthy enough. Right. Everybody has strengths and weaknesses, flaws and tremendous abilities that they bring to the table. Every experience adds a layer of complexity and depth to the conversation that needs to be understood. When we decide that we're more angry than we are constructive, we end up taking three steps backwards even if we take one step forward. And I do think that successfully solving social problems that really work for everyone does require a willingness to hear different points of view. And of course, that willingness to hear different points of view isn't universal either, right? But I do think that the awareness of where do you stand in this conversation and what do you really bring to the table and what do you not bring to the table and what do you need other people at the table for in order to truly understand what might be effective is the right path. Right, so I I like what you had yeah. to say. I would say of those of those characteristics, I might doubt mature just a little bit, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> but not for you, Rob. Talking
1: about age, Jerry, not your age.
2: Yeah, yeah. I, I think the
0: context was age, brother.
2: Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, it was it was a kind way to say old. Is that what you're yeah, saying? Much. Old and immature works. Okay, I can right. go with
1: that. <laughs> right, but.
2: But, uh, but I think that is, uh, that's really profound. And actually it goes back to what you said earlier about, um, the approach that we try to take in our work, which is to, to really be good listeners. Um, and, and to genuinely understand before we try to move forward with some kind of a solution. I think those concepts go really, really well together. And I should say, thank you again for, for your kind words about our work. Uh, we certainly feel the same about your work, and and we feel like we've been enlightened quite a bit, and it's helped us uh, take constructive approaches toward problem solving because of our relationship and and your expertise and and wisdom.
1: Well, thank you, Jerry. I, um, it, it's interesting. Phil is Phil is a, a guy that I you know have spent some time with in, uh, historically, and. Uh, he recommended a book to me recently, and and uh, I read it, and I kn- know why he's so excited about it. The book is called Cast. It's about very many uh, of the things we've been talking about, about um, you know social. Um, the, the, even the origin of the term outcast was to be outside of a caste system of, of um, you know poverty and you know or, or um, wealth in in many cases. Uh, which I just thought was so, um, so interesting. It just t- talks about the history of racism and sexism, and, but, it, but it puts it into, to, uh, to, so you can understand that there have been organized, intentional, institutional systems built for inequality mm-hmm. along a lot of different lines. And, and financial is just one of them. Uh, and but to to have it some insight into understanding how those systems have been built and how how they have been intentional about inequality uh, and keeping inequality and I feel like we're having a different conversation in America today in Michigan today. The work you guys are doing is about breaking down some of those walls, and uh, t- to me, it was just uh Uh, Inspiring and I'd recommend it to others and Phil. Thank you for recommending it to me.
0: Well, it's my pleasure Rob Um, You know, it's the book it's cast C A S T E by Isabel Wilkerson And I would I would just wrap this up with a bow to say we've had old conversations now We're having a new conversation and uh, what role does mature older white men uh, That are privileged have in a conversation about racial uh, justice and equity and the the fact of the matter is we are the ones that n- our our group our segment Is one of the ones that needs to change and so we need to be a catalyst for change in that for sure I think it was George santanyana who said that if you don't understand history You're condemned to repeat it and I think the book cast really gives you a very clear perspective about how these systems came to be and put in place, and uh, we, we you know recommend the book Cast by Isabel Wilkerson for sure. Rob, it's been a great privilege to revisit some conversations that I think aged pretty well, my friend, and, uh, and then talk, I have a new conversation about what, what really how we can make a difference in our state um, and in this world, and I think that's something that we're all three hold as a high value in our lives, that we want it to matter and to count and to have impact. So thank you for being back with us again. And you know, just because you're leaving SBAM doesn't mean you
1: can't come back and be on the show again. I thought I thought this might be my last bite.
2: <laughs>
1: thank you, Phil. Thank you, Jerry. I just it's been a privilege and um, again I'd so admire the work you guys are doing and how you're doing it. I don't know that people really appreciate how distinct you are from other food bank organizations across the country, the the kind of creativity and innovation you brought to it. So good on you. Thank you. Thank you. Jerry and I are back in
0: just a minute to wrap up this edition of Food First Michigan. Welcome back, everyone. Thanks for listening. Jerry, that's Rob Fowler, who, uh, I don't know, should he get an award for being our most frequent guest over the years?
2: Yeah, well, better an award than an indictment. That's what I say. (laughs) (laughs) No, Rob is great. Um, And, you know, for our listeners who don't have the benefit of the of the depth of the relationship that we've had with Rob over the years. You know, as we continue to work on the partnerships that it's going to take to really be successful in not just changing the conversation, but making progress on what it's going to take to have a food secure community. People like Rob have walked alongside us from the very beginning and have been a tremendous help, uh, not just to help us understand, but a hand to the plow you know working Mm -hmm. on the policy changes working on uh, helping us know people and introducing us to people who matter i mean rob has just been a great champion for us so grateful to have him on the show again looking forward to what's next uh but uh, but you know really covered some very complicated issues and i know a lot of times people want simple answers just do this you hear it all the time just do this if we just did this well life isn't that simple and, uh, and, you know, the conversation we just had with Rob, I think, highlights some of the ways that, that life is a lot more complicated those, than those simple answers want to pretend to be.
0: Well, simple, simple, simple answers to complex social problems don't exist. Um, right. It's, it's kind of like learning to, to, use, to not use the word never and always. Yeah. Because you know, none of us are that consistent. <laughs> 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 you know, so yeah, I, I think it's a valid point. Well, Jerry, it's a great show. Glad to have Rob. Let's close with a little food for thought. wwwww www. is a question we started asking ourselves years ago as we started a strategic planning process. Who wins when we win? We've outlined on the show education, how education, healthcare, and the community all win, and how business wins when food security is no longer an issue. Healthier, happier people who are de-stressed about basic needs means that they are likely to be more and highly productive members of a team. Taking hunger off the table of employees means greater profits For companies big or small. Food Bank Council of Michigan is partnering with state associations like the Michigan Health and Hospital Association, the Michigan Lodging and Restaurant Association, Small Business Association of Michigan, and companies like our own Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan to win against hunger and food insecurity across Michigan. We do this by putting and keeping food first, folks, food first.
1: Food First Michigan, presented
0: by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan and by the Food Bank Council of Michigan, creating a food-secure state.